Thank you. Thank you. So, um, just so you know, um, I'm a little handicapped because I speak with both hands. And so I'm used to having a lavalier, but obviously they're having trouble with that, so I don't want to burden them with that. So it's a little awkward for me to hold a microphone. I don't hardly ever do that. So um, that's not an excuse for anything other than I just wanted to tell you that. So, For those of you who haven't been with us, I'm just going to give you a little quick review uh, because we're going to do, what we're going to do tonight is something I haven't done the last four sessions. And, uh, but here's some, what we talked about over the last four sessions. We talked about being called and placed in the body of Christ in a specific place, that we have a specific purpose, that it isn't just, uh, we're not just alive to be alive, and our purpose isn't just to get people saved, it isn't just to be a good Christian, it isn't just to be, uh, love more of God. That's all involved, but there's something very specific for you to do. Uh, and nobody can do it but you. You're that unique, and you're that gifted, and you're that called, and you're that anointed, and you're that appointed. Every one of us. When, when um, in 1 Corinthians 12, when it talks about the body of Christ, it talks about, you know, the, there's the hands, there's the feet, there's the head. Jesus is the head, we're the rest of it. And so the head never goes anywhere by itself. And it doesn't matter what part of the body you are. It doesn't matter what you do. The value in the kingdom is exactly the same. Okay? Every one of us has the exact same value in the kingdom. You have a different value in the marketplace here based on your skill set, you know, what you know, what you don't know, etc. But in the kingdom of God, the value of all of us is exactly the same. In fact, even on the planet, the value of every human is exactly the same. It's just in the marketplace it's different. And then if someone says they're, quote, in power, they may say you don't, you're not the same, but you are. The God looks at all of us exactly the same. So we're starting from that point, right, that we're equal. Not that somebody's greater, somebody's less. One of the things we talked about was the gifts. We all have gifts. One of my friends, uh, who is a very, very successful businessman, he says, you know, we all have some gifts, but we don't have most of them. And that's a really good thing to know. You, every one of us in here has a gift package that's several gifts in, in, in one package, just like if somebody gives you a, a birthday bag and it's got three or four gifts in it. That's kind of what happens. When you're born, you, uh, you have that gift mix in you, and it's in there before you're born again. Right? I mean, we can, if, you're, if you've got a great singing voice, you had it before you were born again. If you've got the ability to think through problems in your mind and in a very unusual way where you just you can conceptualize and you can put everything together in your mind, that's in you whether you're born again or not. The reason we know that is you can look at people who are not born again, who are not Christians, quote, you know, they're not in the kingdom, and yet they're amazingly gifted, aren't they? Amazingly gifted athletes and, you know, musicians and teachers and and mothers and fathers and et cetera, amazingly gifted, but they don't know Jesus. So it isn't just about being a Christian, but it is about recognizing what your gift mix is if you are a Christian. Well, we also talked about <clears throat> taking those gifts and turning them into skills. We talked about the gift of favor should be upon us, is upon us, and it's something you should talk about, confess over yourself all the time. People say, well, I never have favor. That's because you keep saying that. You know, 
don't, don't keep saying that. Just, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, we also talked about the purpose, your purpose, whatever it is, is inside the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is inside you. Therefore, your purpose is inside you. It's not out somewhere. Even coming to this uh, a seminar like this, you're not going to come and find your purpose at this, in this seminar. I'm not showing you what your purpose is. I'm giving you tools so that you can go inside because that's where the kingdom is and that's where your purpose is and you can draw that purpose out. We talked about planning. We talked about how the Bible says in Proverbs that many are the plans in the heart of a man, but a man of wisdom draws them out. So your plans, everything about you, we talked about like an acorn, the entire tree oak tree is inside that acorn. The plan for it is in there. You germinate the seed and boom, here comes the tree. It may take decades and decades for that tree to become its fullest, uh, the fullest tree that it can possibly be, but it was all in that acorn to start with. Same thing with you. The plans that God has for you and for your purpose, they're already in here. And you just need to learn how to draw those out. We spent a whole whole session on that. We also talked about what's the language of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that I've heard from the Holy Spirit? He has a specific language. And that language is, in fact, just everybody close your eyes. Those of you who have been in the seminar, you know what's going to happen here. So dog, tree, house, open your eyes. How many of you, and those who were in the seminar, you don't have to raise your hand if you, How many of you, when I said the word dog, you saw a dog? How many of you saw a house? How many of you saw, what did I say, a car or a tree, whatever I said, tree? Okay, how many of you refused to raise your hand? (laughs) My point is, you saw in pictures, but I spoke in words. Maybe you saw a D-O-G, that's okay. But probably you saw a dog or a that you know, or maybe your favorite type of dog, you saw a specific house, you see in pictures, that's the language of the Holy Spirit. 240 some odd times, God spoke in visions and dreams to his people. In fact, it's the most, that is the way he speaks more than any other times, any other type of, uh, or any other way uh, to his people, visions and dreams. In uh, the book of Acts, there's 14 different visions and dreams. And the book of Revelation is one vision. So that's the way he speaks. He speaks in pictures. He speaks pictorially. It's very creative. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always going to see technicolor, you know, uh, visions and things like that. You may see ticker tapes. And there's some of you, it may just, you may actually hear the voice in your head. Maybe you hear, anybody here heard the audible voice of God? I never have. I'm not raising my hand. Look at this. There's three, four, five people. Okay. That's happening more and more, by the way. I mean, I've been in this for 40 years, and I can tell you, it used to do that, and nobody would raise their hand. And now there's more and more people who are hearing. Why? Because we're, things are winding down. The veil's getting thinner, and God's getting closer, and you know, heaven's coming closer. And so just more and more of those kinds of things are going on. But if you can learn the language of the Holy Spirit and understand that he wants to talk to you, and he wants to talk to you all the time, but he's going to use his language, not your language. Most of the time. He's going to speak. He loves to speak in pictures. How much is a picture worth? Exactly. So that's why he speaks in pictures. Because we remember the pictures. Uh, I can remember a man, uh, this was at least 35 years ago. A prophet came to our our church where we were. And uh, 
I was sitting on the front row, and he just pointed his finger. He says, you've shot both barrels, and you're just wiped out and tired. You need to take a rest. Go, go rest somewhere. And he was absolutely right. I was totally tired. I was wasted. I was almost burnt out. And, but he, when he said, I see you with a shotgun, and you've, you've, you've unloaded both barrels, I saw the shotgun. Right? Some of you just saw it when I said that. Okay, I've never forgotten that. You know, I've never forgotten, and sometimes I go, oh, man, I've both barrels, I need to take a rest. Because I've never forgotten that, that picture, it just, it sticks with us. Okay, oh, what else did we talk about? Oh, confirmation. We talked about how you can always know that you know that you know that God has spoken to you. You never have to wonder again. We gave you a six-point uh, confirmation list. Oh, was it seven points? I think it was six, seven, seven. It was seven. Wasn't it Seven. Seven points, yeah, because time, I always forget about time at the bottom. Yeah. So we gave you a confirmation list. It's in your workbook, and we're not going to go over that right now, but it is a way that you can never have to wonder again. You do not have to wonder whether God speaks to you. So many people go, I don't know if it was God or not. Why? Said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So we should be able to hear his voice. And then he said, God's word is confirmed by two or more witnesses. So there's ways to get witnesses for the confirmation. We taught on that. And all this is in video. So, you know, as uh, Sean was saying, when it's ready, it's ready. And then we talked about how to plan, how to take all the things that we've talked about so far and actually begin to plan your life. Once you know your gifts and you know how to hear the voice of God, and you know what he's calling you to do, and you know that it's important, nobody can do it but you, you need to know how to plan that to make it happen. Many are the plans. A man of wisdom draws them out. And it talk, we talked about you need wise counsel, you, all these different things. But planning is paramount. You know, plan, God's a planner. You know, we talked about in uh, Genesis chapter, chapter 3 when uh, Adam and Eve fell, the first thing he did was he revealed the rest of his plan. He already knew it was going to happen. Jesus was, is the lamb slain before what? The foundation of the world. There was no world, and he was already slain as far as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were concerned. So the plan was already in motion. They weren't surprised by the sin, right? And he began to say, okay, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. It says bruised in some, that means crushed. It doesn't just mean he got a kick in the head. It means he crushed his head. Okay, and you need to, it, that's good to know. You know, I like, I like that term better. Um, <clears throat> but he was expressing his plan, and then for hundreds of years he had his prophets talking about, here's the Messiah's coming, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. He's revealing his plan. Then Jesus comes. He fulfills that plan, fulfills 360-some-odd uh, uh, prophecies about himself, most of which he could have nothing to do with. And then the book of Revelation is one vision about the end. It tells you exactly what's going to happen. So God is always planning, and we need to be good at planning. So we gave you some really good planning techniques uh, to learn how to do that. So what we're going to go do tonight is we're going to kind of put the the ribbon and the bow on everything. And I call these my three master keys. And it's on page 37. The master keys of achievement. Page 
the first thing you have to do if you're going to accomplish your purpose, you have to believe that you have one. You have to believe that no matter how crazy it sounds or looks to you, it can be done. My favorite scripture is what's at the top of that page in Mark 9.23. All things are possible to him who believes. It does not say all things are possible to Christians. It says all things are possible to him who believes. If you don't believe, the impossible is pretty hard. Right? It, just because you're born again doesn't mean you're healed, doesn't mean you're, you're, you're prospering, doesn't mean that you're filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom <clears throat> and understanding. It just means you're born again. When I was born into this world as a baby, I was just born into this world. I didn't know anything, didn't own anything, couldn't do anything. And it's kind of that way when you're born again. Everything I needed to be everything I was called to be was, was in me. I just didn't know it. I had to learn it. And I had to grow through it. I had to mature. Same thing with this. All things are possible to him who believes. That includes whatever your purpose is, whatever you're on the planet for, whatever God says for you, whatever project he gives you, doesn't matter. All things are possible. I always go back to, and those of you who haven't been here with us for the last few days, I was a professional acrobat in the circus. I was a trapeze artist, <clears throat> wire walker, juggler, trampoline, teeter boards, all that. And did that for 17 years. My wife and I owned a professional level circus called Circus Alleluia, which was a Christian outreach. And we saw about 25,000 people born again over our 12 years. Probably saw, I don't know how many thousands of people healed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it was absolutely amazing. But the day he told me, I want you to start and create a Christian circus for me that preaches the gospel, I had no idea what he was talking about. I had all the skills. I knew how to do a show, but I didn't know how to do a Christian show. I didn't know how to do a Christian outreach as, you know, I was born again, but I just didn't, I didn't know what he's talking about. And I began to, I said it to my wife and she just thought I was nuts. <laughs> told anybody, everybody I told, I said, yeah, no, you're crazy. What? You're just crazy. That's it. You can't do that. And I love the word can't because I threw that out of my vocabulary a long time ago. It shouldn't be in our vocabulary. What should be in our vocabulary? All things are possible. That's what I believe. So we started that Christian circus, and I just kept going to the Lord. Well, how do I do this? How do I, how do I introduce the circus acts? And, and where do I get the rigging? And how do I, where are we going to do this? And how are people going to know about us? And I just kept asking questions until I got enough answers to where we could get started and to get somebody else to believe. I believed it the moment he said, do it. I just didn't know how to do it. So just because you believe doesn't mean you have all the information, right? Yeah, I believe I can start a Christian circus. I believe I can walk on water. Do you? You should, because Jesus said you could. Or do you believe you can multiply food? I do. Do you believe you can control animals? I do, because Jesus did it with the, with the fish. Do you believe you can be translated? I believe it. Right? These are, you have to believe it first. Nobody gets born again without believing, right? <clears throat> That's the hardest thing in the, there is to do in the universe is to get born again. And how hard was that? How many of you were fasting and praying and seeking God with all your heart and you're just, you know, you're denying yourself all kinds of stuff 
right up to the point you got born again? Nobody, right? So now you're a Christian and you can do all those things, right? So you're, you're, you've got more ammunition, you've got more power, you've got everything in you now, and yet we have trouble believing that he can actually do what he told us he wants to do with us. Even though when we weren't even looking or trying to be a Christian, we became a Christian. And now that we are his kids, we have trouble believing the things he tells us about ourselves. Right? So we have to get past that and get into the believing thing. We've got to get into the believing realm about everything Jesus said. How does that happen? It only happens one way. It only happens if you spend time with him and in his word. It won't happen any other way. You are not going to believe that all things are possible if you're not reading about the impossible things that he did all the time in the Bible. Yeah, uh, Haman, uh, not Haman, um, Naaman. You know, go jump in the river seven times and you'll be healed. Who does that? I mean, think about that. I mean, I would have been incredulous just like him. Like, do what? Nobody ever heard of it before. Or listen, where'd you drop that axe head in the water? Let me just throw this stick out there and it'll float. I mean, who? nobody, those are all impossible things. Philip gets translated 35 miles, and then God makes him walk home. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, it, it, it's just the impossible things. Hey, we're in the boat, still, the storm is stilled, you know, and all of a sudden, immediately, we're at the shore. That's, that's impossible. It's impossible to walk on water. It's impossible to multiply food. It's impossible to be fishing all night. Just throw your net on the other side of your boat, and you can't even haul in all the fish. That's impossible. So you have to constantly be feeding yourself the things that aren't possible that have been done so that you believe. Because he's not going to ask you to do things harder than that. He's not. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. That sounds really hard. I think it's pretty easy. You know, our brother right over here, we prayed, what was it, Monday night? Or Sunday night? Monday night? Sunday night? God healed his knees. Right? So... Yeah, so, but it's impossible. You can't do that, but we did that. I don't have an answer for how that works. I don't care, as long as it works, right? So you have to be around feeding yourself the stories, the testimonies about things that are not possible that all of a sudden became possible. Every day... I can't say every day, probably five days a week, I listen to at least, at least one hour of somebody preaching to me, and I try and put in another hour, half hour, 40 minutes, of just getting on the Internet and just listening to testimonies of healing and miracles, because they're everywhere. If you just type in Christian Street Healing, you'll get thousands of videos. So I watch those because I want to stay, I want my belief to be up all the time. And I want the miracles. I want that stuff. And I've seen thousands of people healed and all kinds of wild stuff in the spirit because I believe it. I'm expecting that to happen. That's not, that's the norm, right? So you got you to gotta believe first. And you got to do everything you can to help yourself believe because the world's pulling you the other way. 
where I live up in Chalice, Idaho, we're right next to the Salmon River. Salmon River is very shallow, except at flood stage uh, in the spring. Then it's a raging river, and you don't want to get near it. So I've, you know, what I teach is if I jump in the Salmon River and I try and swim upstream, I'm not going anywhere except backwards. <clears throat> but if I get a motorboat and I put, get inside that and I hit the motor, I can go upstream as far as I want. The world is the Salmon River going one way. The kingdom is, is the motorboat going the other way. But what's the power source? Is it you? It's the Holy Spirit, right? So you have to <clears throat> continually believe you've got that kind of motorboat in here and just act like it. See, people always say, well, I have faith. Well, I'm kind of like where James is. You know, show me your faith by your works. Don't tell me you have faith. Show me. Show me what you believe. Do you really believe it? I had um, some guys from a cult come to our front door one time. Wonderful guys. Real nice young men. And, uh, you know, they professed a Christ that I don't believe in. So I stepped out the front door and I said, okay, guys, look, here's the deal. Um, You have a different Jesus than I do, right? Yes. I said, I'm a born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christian. Okay? You think I'm super deceived, right? Yes. Okay, well, here's the difference. I know you're deceived. You think I'm deceived. I know you're deceived. So, and I was being very nice. I wasn't being nasty to him. So I said, look, here's the deal. <clears throat> you go and you get somebody who's really, really sick or they're injured or dead, and you bring them back to my front door. I will let you pray first to your Jesus. If they get healed or resurrected, I'll, I'll join your cult. I promise. I said, but it won't happen. So when I pray for them and they are healed or they are raised the dead, you have to denounce your cult and you have to join the true kingdom. Right? They looked at me and said, well, we can't. You can't put God to a foolish test. I said, really? I said, you don't read your Bible then. Because there was this prophet in the Old Testament and he went up against 450, whatever it was, prophets of Baal. And he did the very same thing and God honored his prayer. They all died. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to give you life, you know. Well, they wouldn't do it. And I said, here's the reason you won't do it is because you don't believe it. You don't even believe what you're trying to get me to believe. You don't believe it. The reason I know you don't believe it is because you won't act on it. I will act on it because I know what happens because I do believe. I said, now what you have to do is you have to come to grips with why don't you believe what you're trying to tell me? Why would I possibly want to join something you're talking about when you don't believe it enough to do it yourself? So, they went back to their headquarters. And a few weeks later, we, were, we had helped this girl come out of that cult. And she, says, and she came by our house. She goes, hey, you won't believe this. I was over at the headquarters. And uh, there's a billboard, a blackboard or something, some, you know, bulletin board. And it's... Uh, it's you're, you said you and your, your house is on the blacklist. I said, what does that mean? It means you're absolutely unsavable reprobate. Don't ever send anybody there again. So I'm, I'm like, that's a trophy, baby. I mean, that's a, at the same time, I'm like, well, I wish they more would come. 
Because the last thing they, before they left, I said, look, I will go to your national and international headquarters, and I'll tell the same thing. I'll make the same offer to the guys at the top of your religion, and none of them will take me up on it because they don't believe it either. So I said, you think about that. So that's what believing means. Believing means you will put everything you have on the line because you believe it. I've done that with when I was dying. I've done it with my kids. I've done it with money. I've done it with relationships. I've done it with ministries and business. I have never seen it fail. Never. Have I failed? Of course. Yeah, of course. I've missed it. But I've never seen God fail. Because when I fail, God goes, well, here's what you weren't doing. You, you weren't really believing this. And besides, the other thing was, I didn't tell you to do that. Let me give you one more thing. I, I had no intention of spending this much time on believing. But you can disobey the Bible. You can disobey God by obeying the Bible. I know. <laughs> Let me give you an example. There was a woman called Meg and I, Meg's my wife, and uh, we, were, you know, we were seeing lots of miracles take place. And this early on in our ministry, this woman called from our church, and she said, hey, my, my nephew just got in a bad motorcycle accident. They're talking about taking his leg off. Can you go up and pray for him in the hospital? I said, yeah, we'll go pray for him. God will heal him. I mean, I actually, I, I believed it. So we went up, and we go into the room, and I said, hey, you know, here's who we are. And he's like... Not paying attention, you know, his legs all bandaged up. And I, see, I hear they're going to take your leg off. Yeah, tomorrow morning. And I said, well, you mind if we pray for you? Because I couldn't care less. I don't care. And he, was, he wasn't there. He's just like, I don't care, you know, whatever. So anyway, we laid hands on him, prayed for him, and said, okay, God's healed you. You know, they won't take your leg off. He's like, whatever. So we left. Call, I called his mom, or his, his aunt, rather, and said, okay, we prayed for him. God healed him. She goes, oh, I'm so happy. Next day, they cut his leg off. So I'm like, okay, Jesus, you didn't make a mistake. It has to be me because you, you don't make mistakes. I said, what happened here? He said, well, several things. He said, first of all, I never told you to go pray for him. He's completely in rebellion to me. He was running from an argument with his mom. He was totally rebellious. That's why he got in the accident. And he hates me. I said, I didn't tell you to go and pray for him. He said, so you, were being, you weren't being obedient to me, number one. And he said, and you let other people's opinions tell you what to do. And uh, I said, yeah, but your word says, lay hands on the sick and they recover. He said, yeah, it does. And that's when he said, but you can obey the word and disobey me at the same time. I said, I don't understand that. He said... Uh, Jesus only did what I told him to do. He only said what I told him to say. Until you're there, you can be disobedient to me while you're trying to obey the word. I just went, golly, that's brilliant. I mean, right. I got, now, you don't forget those lessons, I can tell you. So you have to be, you know, it comes down to you really want to hear the voice of God. You, what is he telling you to do? You know, one of the things is lay hands on no one suddenly. Whether that's for healing or anything else, you have to be very, very careful because you're responsible. So there was a lousy witness to everybody involved, to everybody involved. I'll give you one good story so I don't leave you there. So I'm coming back from 
a ministry trip, and uh, I get home, and there's all kinds of messages and things, and my mother had had, uh, my mother, who was one of my best friends at this point, um, she was in her late 50s, maybe around 60, and she'd had an aneurysm, which is uh, artery burst in her brain, threw her into a coma, and uh, she was in the hospital, and they didn't expect her to live through the night. So I go up to her room, and I walk in, and there's tubes, and everything's blinking and beeping and all that stuff. And, and I, I, as I'm looking at her, I can feel unbelief and fear coming all over me. So I walk out of the room, and I said, God, I only want to know one thing. Now, this is years after the, the leg thing. I said, I want to know one thing. Does she want to be with you, or does she want to come back? He said, she wants to come back. I said, that's all I need to know. And now I've got faith. I walk back into the same room with belief and faith. I put my hand in her. I said, you will wake up in the morning and you're going to be fine. I walked out, walked over to the doctor who was standing there. I said, what, what do you think? She said, he said, if she, if she makes it through the night, she may survive. But even if she wakes up, she'll be a vegetable. I said, nah. Didn't tell him what I did. I just walked away. I went there the next morning. By the time I got there, she's sitting up in bed eating breakfast. Okay? So, you know, you, it, it comes to what is God saying? Now, I can tell you there's been other times people call and said, hey, you know, such and such accident, they're dying, da-da-da. I go to God, so how do you want me to pray? Don't, you pray for the family because they're going to they're gonna die. That's probably happened to me six times every time it was right. But then I could go to the family afterwards and say, the Lord told me this. I mean, I would write it down and date it and all kinds of stuff. So I said, they were going to go. One of, my, one of them was my wife's mom. So, and I would say, you know, three days ago, the Lord told me that this was going to happen. And, you know, I just want you to know that she's with him. Because they were always Christians. I was never unbelievers. I said, they're with him. It's okay. And it was very comforting for the family to have that word. Okay. So you have to be, you have to be listening because you want to pray in faith. You want to pray from a standpoint of believing. You want to act from a standpoint of believing. The way that happens is you've got to spend time with him. You've got to know his voice. You've got, you know, get some testimonies under your belt. Build yourself up in your faith. Strengthen yourself in every possible way and get out there and, and do it. And don't worry about making mistakes because let me help you. You will. You will make mistakes. Don't make them as bad as that one I made. But you'll make mistakes. You know, it won't always work because we're just humans and we make mistakes. And we have an enemy who tries to trip us up. But God is so in love with you that he, he just, he's thrilled that you tried. You know, he didn't kick me out of ministry because they cut that kid's leg off. He just said, learn from this. All right? So that was way more than I was going to go into. I'm, okay. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do how many things? All things. Do you think you really mean that? Do you really understand what that means? All things. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to show us. He's going to lead you and guide you into the truth. He's going to show you things to come. He's going to reveal to you everything that belongs to the Father. And everything the Father has is mine. He's going to reveal it to you. So if he's revealing it to you, why? Because it's all yours. He says, everything that belongs to Jesus has to belong to me. I'm a joint heir. That means I have everything he has. Think about that. So if, he's, if, he, if all things, and all, what does all things mean? All things. Right? It means everything. The entire universe, all of creation belongs to Jesus. 
and therefore all of creation belongs to you. Do we believe that? Do we act like that? Not very much. Can we get there? I believe we can. I believe we will eventually, but I'd rather do it on this side, wouldn't you? Let's get, let's get, let's get going over here. Okay, so that's that. All right, so let's look at the first key. You've got to see it. You've got to visualize it. You've got to have a vision. We talked about in the very first session, uh, Proverbs 29, 18, that says, without a vision, people perish. The word perish means to be unrestrained. The word vision means a mental picture. We're talking about pictures. If you don't have a picture of your future, if you don't have some sort of vision about your life and who you are and what you're supposed to do, you're unrestrained. You're like a pinball. You're just being bounced around circumstance to circumstance. And you can feel that. But when you're focused, when you know, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. I have no doubt about it. I've heard from the Lord, and I'm going to go this direction. And he has all of, my, uh, all of my attention. And if he wants to turn me anytime in the midst of this, he can because I've got my eyes on him. That's where you want to be. And that's where we can be. We can definitely be there. Let me give you an illustration of how powerful sight is. Everybody stand up. Those of you who are with me in the... This is called the twist. So here's what I want you to do. So don't do this. Do not move yet. Okay, You're going to put your finger up in the air like this and bring it down. And then you put your feet about shoulder width apart. And then you're going to turn and you're going to stretch. Don't do it yet. What is wrong with you guys? Go over to the wall. Pick out a point and come back. Go as far as you can. Okay? Everybody put your finger up. Bring it down in front of you. Turn. And go as far as you can. Pick a point out on the wall. Don't move your feet. Come back. Close your eyes. See yourself going past that point. Close your eyes. See yourself going past that point. Don't do it yet. Open your eyes. Do it again. How many of you went past that point? Anybody who didn't go past the point? Everybody did. Okay, you can sit down. Okay, so what just happened? What just happened? Here's what just happened. You just told me that you went as far as you could. You couldn't go any farther. You, went, you did as much as you possibly humanly could. I had you close your eyes for three seconds. I said, see yourself. Picture yourself. A mental picture of going farther. And every one of you did more than three seconds before you said you could do. That's the power of a picture. That's the power of a mental, a vision. That's just a small illustration. So if you have a vision of what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to be, how much more can you do than you think you can do? Okay? You just did it. And you have my permission to do that anywhere you want with anybody. I stole it from somebody else. I didn't didn't make it up. But it's a great illustration of just how, it's a great illustration of how much our minds can set us free or they can hold us back. Got that? You've got to see it. Let me give you another story here. This friend of mine, is a, he's a medical doc, and I was helping him move into his house, which was right next door to his new office. And uh, he had a king-size bed, and it was, I mean, this thing was made out of concrete. It was so heavy. And so I'm holding this piece, you know, that's gonna, he's going to attach the headboard. So I'm on the floor, and I'm holding this piece up, and it slipped, and it hit me in the eye and just cleaved my eyebrow open. 
So, you know, blood everywhere. I'm like, oh, man. You know, so he just takes me over to his office. No problem. I'll go sew it up. So we go over to his office. I'm laying there on the table, and he's sewing it up. And I'm, I'm like, this must be really, really hard to do. I mean, because he was doing, you know, he said, I'm going to keep it inside the brow, you know, so it doesn't make a scar or whatever. And he said, I'm going to make the stitches really, really small so there won't be a scar. I said, okay, that must be really hard to do. And he, I'll never forget this. He leans over. I'm, I'm laying this way, so my head's right here. And he leans over my face, and he goes, Greenman. He goes, if you can see it, you can do it. And I said, what did you say? He goes, this is nothing. Sewing this up is nothing. When I was in medical school, when we were doing microsurgery, we had to sew the ends of two human hairs together. Think about that. How big is that needle? <laughs> How big is the thread? Right? Microsurgery. He goes, this is nothing compared to that. So when he said that, I went, if you can see it, you can do it. Because they have big magnifying. You know, they're using tele- te- telescopes. <laughs> they're using microscopes. <laughs> so that was a revelation. Now, I kind of understood the principle. But when he said that, it just went off inside me. I went, wow, yeah, if you can see it, you can do it. You've got to take the time to sit around. We talk, spent a whole session on thinking. Listen, one of the best things you can do, one of the best uses of your time is to sit down and think. Be still and just think. Think about heaven. Think about miracles. Think about your purpose, your destiny. Think about what you want to do. See it. Visualize it. When I was in high school, I was a pole vaulter, and we had this coach, and he said, I want you to stand at the end of the runway, and I'd be before every jump, I want you to see yourself running down, planting the pole, bending it, rocking back, going over the, over the bar with a you know, half twist, and then throwing three times before you ever run. Now, he was a new coach as our senior year in high school. I increased my, my jumps by a foot that year just by seeing it. And here's the crazy thing. I was like the third I was the third best vaulter out of four on our team. I wasn't the best. But whenever it came time to a, for a big meet, because I'm a very visual person, the other guys would choke. I would never choke because I'm thinking, I'm third best anyway. I'm probably not going to get anywhere. So I'm just having fun. And I'm just visualizing. I'm seeing. So sometimes, I mean, one time there was, the sun was setting behind the you're running right into the sun, you know, and everybody's like, I can't see, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, I don't care, I'm just going. I would see myself. And I, I, in fact, that meet, I won that meet. That was a district meet, the only one I ever won. But what I'm saying is, because I was good at visualizing, the wind didn't bother me, the rain didn't bother me, the sun in my face didn't bother me because I'd already seen it. And I just ran and did what I saw. And so, and the other guy, the guy who was number one vaulter, he increased his jump by two feet in one meet. Yeah, it was really awesome. I mean, I, we were all like, yeah, it's incredible. But we learned that technique, and I've applied that ever since then. I take the time to visualize. I did it here. I did it today. I sat in my hotel room this afternoon, and I just visualized going through this whole thing. Now, the cool thing is God changed it. And got into this whole belief thing, which I wasn't going to go anywhere near, but somebody here needed that. But I saw myself doing, I had never been here, I didn't know what this looked like, but I knew that I wanted to go down this road. I, you know, I'm just picturing myself uh, speaking, being at peace, except I saw myself with a lavalier, I didn't see that. Um, which is not a problem. 
Okay, so when it comes to visualizing, God does that all the time. He made everything out of the invisible, turned it visible. How did he do that? He saw it first. It says he saw, you know, God created. We are exactly like God. I mean, you guys know that, right? However we operate, that's how he operates. You know, I've tried to convince people that God looks like a human being. No, no, he's just, I mean, the whole universe, you can hold him. So what? It's still in the palm of a hand. He still looks like us. We look like him. He may be humongous and he can shrink himself down and become a little baby in a womb. It doesn't matter to me. He still looks like us. He has our attributes. We have his attributes is the way I should say it. So if he made things out of the, out of the invisible and turned them visible, how did he do that? We have that ability. How do we do it? The chair you're sitting and the table you're at, the tablecloth, the pen, the, everything you have was in somebody's mind. It was, a, it was a vision in their head before it ever became something that you're looking or, or using at the moment. So we have that creativity in us, that ability to see things first, and you have to do that. So as you find out what you're on the planet for, what am I here for, what's my purpose, you have to take the time to visualize that. I mean, when I first started, you know, doing ministry, I didn't think about, okay, I want to be a preacher. That was, I was a circus jock. I wasn't thinking about, you know, being a preacher or a teacher or writing books or any of that stuff. But as the Lord opened those things up, I took the time to visualize. I took the time to see myself. I took the time of studying and learning how to do things if that's where I'm headed. Because I want to have the only picture inside me is one of doing it in an excellent manner because of who I represent. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so we have to, you have to visualize. You have to do those things. Okay. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What does that mean? It means he saw it all. He saw you and me. He saw everything. And he saw it before any of it was even created. That's why he said, yeah, I'll go and die for all of them. You bet. Because he saw the joy on the other side of the cross, which was all of us in the kingdom with him forever. He saw you. And he said, I, yeah, I'll die for that one. And I'm going to get to spend eternity with them. That's awesome. I mean, he really thinks that way. It isn't like we're all up there, you know, don't get in his way today. It's not like that. He is so in love with us. He wants to spend so much time with us, and he's going to get to do that forever, eternally. He's excited about that. That's a joy to him. But he saw it before he ever experienced it. And we do that all the time. Okay, so that's, that's the first key. That's the first master key. I want you to... Um, we're going to do a drill here on the study notes, which is on the other side. The drills, this is, this is what I call them. I call them drills. So on the study notes, I want you to write something. I want you to close your eyes when I say to, and I want you to imagine, I want you to think of one thing that you want to do. Just one thing, not ten things. One thing you want to do. For those of you who are in the course this week, um, take that one thing that you said was your number one dream and desire that we used for the other things. And I want you to... Close your eyes and imagine it. See it completely done. Completely done. 
Just close your eyes right now. Just see it completely. Whatever that one thing is you want, just close your eyes and see it completely accomplished. And I want you to feel the emotions. I want you to see the people who are with you, celebrating with you. I want everything that could possibly be associated with that completion. I want you to imagine it right now. I'm going to play some music here because that will just help set the mood a little bit, and music is a good thing. Hopefully I'm picking one that isn't too fast. Let's, let's bring it down. So I have a question. I have a question. How many of you felt the emotion? You, felt, you got emotional doing that. Good, you know, happy, sad, whatever. Okay, so all you did was visualize. You were just thinking about something, and yet your emotions changed. That's the power of your thought. Uh, and emotion's a good thing. God has motion, emotion. He, he laughed. He cried. He got angry. He got happy. I mean, it's all in there. So, and remember, the, the, the foundation for this exercise is Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. Without a mental picture, people are unrestrained. But you just restrained yourselves. You, restraint just means, it's like putting a bit in the, in the mouth of a horse. Okay, the horse has tremendous to you. It's useless. I can feel myself going, you know, thing not working there. It's useless to you unless you can get that horse to take that bit and get on saddle, and then you can start using his power, right? You ha- and that's what a vision is. It restrains you, not in a bad way, in a great way. It focuses your power and the power of the Lord through you. So you, you want to make sure that you keep that, you, you understand that this isn't, this isn't some New Age thing, right? The New Agers stole it from us, Right? It didn't start anything. The devil never starts anything. He just perverts things. So this is a very, very important thing to learn. So let's go to number two. So the first one is you got to see it, right? The second one is you got to say it. You have to say it. You have to say what you want. Most people say what they have. You want to say what you want, not what you have. If you don't have what you want, stop saying that. Start saying what you want. Let's go to some scripture. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, every time God said, it says he said and then he saw. He said and then he saw. He saw that it was good. But he saw it, then he said it, then he saw it. Then he said it was good. But 11 times in the book, first chapter of Genesis, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, and every time he said it, it happened. And every time he said something, he said, that's good. We should be doing the same thing. We should be saying and saying and saying and saying and being able to say when we're done saying, that's good. The thing is, too much of the time, we're not saying that's good. We're saying that's a problem. Because we're not saying what he says. We're saying what we have, what we see with our eyes instead of what we see with our spirit. That's why you have to visualize inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to show you. It says, it's a very pictorial presentation there where Jesus says the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will disclose to you. He will show you. He will lead you. Those, it's, it's very pictorial language, visual language. 
you have to learn that language so that he can be a part of your visualization. You don't want to just do it on your You can do it on your own. It's not a sin, but it's better to have him a part of it. He paints much better pictures than we do. Okay, so what we want to do here is, well, let me just go into more of this. Make sure I get all these right. Mark eleven twenty two through 24, Jesus said, Have faith in God. Whoever says to this mountain, be plucked up, cast in the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, will have whatever he says. Now, if you stop right there, you made a mistake. Because the rest of it says, therefore, because of that, because that's a true spiritual law, whether you're born again or not, because it says, whosoever, did he say only Christians or Jews? He said, whosoever. Whosoever says and believes, it will be done. Then he finishes it off by saying in verse 24, or verse 23, he says, Therefore, I say, didn't he just say, whatever you say you can have? I say to you, whatsoever you ask, when you pray, believe you've received it and you have it. He speaks a spiritual law that's up for every, anybody can have. Then he says, but for you, all you have to do is ask me and it'll be done. It's the same principle, just adding in. Look, you guys are born again. You are God's kids. He's involved in all this. Make sure you're asking according to his will, other scriptures say. And if you ask according to will, his will, you know you have what you've asked for. And that's uh, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. But he's saying here, you can do the impossible. Is it, is it possible for a mountain to be plucked up and cast in the sea? Well, it's impossible for you and me, not for, for him. He created them. He says all the mountains are going to fall down, all the valleys are going to rise up. That's a real thing. That's going to happen. Okay? You know, and I always look at, well, the reason I know that can happen is because the walls of Jericho fell down. They didn't fall down this way. They fell down this way. They went straight down into the ground. And do you know that about... 30 years ago, they found Jericho and they found those walls and they'd all went, gone straight down. Did you know that? Yeah. So they didn't fall over this way. They went down. So if God can do that, he can do anything, can he? So when you begin to speak, it's the creative power of either you, the devil working through you, he has none of his own, or God, which do you want? Not a trick question. Okay, we want God, right? We want God. We want His words coming out of our mouth. So how do you get how do you get His words coming out of your mouth? You fill your mouth with the words of God in His Bible, and then whatever He's saying to you. So when He said to me, Bill, I want you to start a Christian circus for me, I started saying that. We're starting a Christian circus and we're going to travel all over the country and maybe the world and we're going to get people saved. And people went, You're out of your mind. No, I'm out of your mind. (laughs) I'm in my mind. Right? And I'm go- this is going to happen. And I began to say it and say it and say it. And nobody believed, nobody believed for 11 months. Nobody believed it. And then finally, my wife believed it. Then my mother believed it. And then we started, you know, anyway, it just went on from there. But 
We, we said, I had to say it and say it and say it and say it. No matter what anybody else said, I'm saying what he said. I'm not saying what you said. I'm saying what he said. Because that's where the power is. You know, when the angel came to Mary and she said, how's this going to be? How can I, ha- I haven't seen, I've never known a man. He said, no word of God is void of power. That's the literal translation of what he said. No word of God is void of power. Every word has power, even the ones he speaks to you directly that may not be in the word. He's not going to speak to you something contrary to the word, to the Bible, but he will speak to you. And then you have to say what he says. Let's look at some other scriptures here. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.13 Having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we believe, therefore we speak. If you believe, you're going to speak. You're always going to say what you believe. I love atheists, because there's no such thing as an atheist. right? They think they are, but they're not. All you've got to do is get an atheist in a life-threatening situation and just... Listen to them. What's the first thing out of their mouth? Oh, my God. 100% of the time it's going to happen like that. I've been in traumatic situations with people who were not born again. That's the first thing there. Oh, my God. 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 Why? Because that's human. That, that's, that our, our human spirit cries out for God even when we don't know we should be. And so you put yourself, you put someone in a traumatic situation where their life is threatened or something just horrific is happening, that's going to come out of their mouth all the time. So I love it. We used to have, we'd have atheists sometimes come up to us after the show and say, I don't believe in any of this. Well, I said, well, it doesn't matter. I couldn't care less if you believe it. He said, well, this is, you know, there's no such thing as God. I said, well, no, that's not true. You know that's not true. Well, no, no, I'm an atheist. No, you're not. I mean, I would have these conversations. No, you're not an atheist. You know how I know you're not an atheist? Because the Bible says that God has written his laws in the hearts of every man. And everybody who look, can look at nature and see God. I said, you're just, you're just denying. You're not an atheist. There's a difference. They would get so mad. <laughs> but I wanted to speak the truth to them. You've got to give God something to work with. You know what I mean? I could have given the guy the four spiritual laws. Right? But he's not going to pay attention to that. But if I say, no, 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 you know what? You, whenever you time you look at a blade of grass or you look at a tree, you see God. You're just denying it. So now, every time he goes to look at a tree, he's going to think that. Because the, the, there's an angel right there going, hey, guess what? You're, 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 there was a God. I'm not sure it's very noble, but... So here's Jesus. What is he saying in, in Matthew 12, 34, 37? He says, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak, speak, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of what, that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. I say to you that every careless word a man shall speak shall render account for it in the day of judgment. Now, by your words you're justified, by your words you're condemned. Can you get much more serious than that? That's how important words are. Now, I've had Christians go, yeah, man, when I, at, at, the, at the day of judgment, man, all the words I've said since I was born again, oh, gosh, they're all, I'm just, I said, well, um, you're going to be at the seat of judgment? I thought you said you were a Christian. 
I was judged at the cross. I, there's no judgment for me. I don't, have, I, don't, I don't have a judgment seat waiting for me. I have an accountability seat where, what did you do? But I, my words, I'm not judged for my words. I can feel the air going out of the room here. Okay? The judgment seat is for unbelievers. We have to give an account of what we've done and wood, hay, or stubble or precious jewels, and, and that's what we do. Okay, that's, that's what we do. We're not judged. We were judged at the cross. The moment we were born again, judgment ceased. Now, it doesn't, I didn't say conviction ceased. Okay, there's a big difference. Judgment is, <laughs> you're in big trouble now. Conviction is, you're breaking my heart by what you're doing. Conviction is based on relationship with the Holy Spirit, where he can convict you. And you can, ah, that's not right. I'm sorry. I confess my sin. Instantly, you're not only forgiven, you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. That can't happen if you're going to be judged for something later. You you understand what I'm saying? If, if, If I say some unwholesome words, I say some words that have no power in them. You know, every care, I say careless words. If, if the Holy Spirit can get me to stop and catch me, I'm instantly going to say, you know, that was wrong. I'm sorry. Boom. I'm cleansed from that unrighteousness. There is no judgment for me. I hope you understand that. That's the beauty of that. That's the ridiculousness of the Christian life, of being born again, of being one of God's kids. Is that there's no judgment for us? It doesn't mean you can just act any way you want. It doesn't mean it's sloppy grace now because God loves me. You know, I can go and do whatever I want. That's nonsense. He did say, if you sin and you confess your sin, I am faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, what if I die and haven't confessed everything? What if you do? Is that sin counted against you? No. You may not have some rewards that you could have had, but there's no judgment. He doesn't kick you out of his family just because, ah, you didn't get that done. Sorry. Sorry. You mean you died before you got to confess that last thing? Oh, man, sorry. You know, you got to go to the hot place. It isn't like that. And even the things, I don't know what, I had no intention to go in this direction, but even the things that we really do bad, that we may never confess. They don't stop us from heaven, but they may stop rewards. I mean, that's, there are rewards. You know what I love about the story of David? Uh, um, Joseph, uh, get this right. When, um, yeah, when David killed Goliath, everybody thinks, oh, you know, it was because he was a non-covenant guy. Well, that's not what it says. That's what he said about him. Hey, he's just an uncircumcised Philistine. But you know what he asked? The question he asked three times, what's in it for me? What's the reward I get if I kill this guy? Three times he asked that. Three times. What do I get if I kill this guy? Well, you get the king's daughter. You don't have to pay taxes anymore, and you're in the king's family. That's a pretty good deal. And, he, and so he confirmed it two more times. And then he said, okay, no problem. Uh, you're an uncircumcised Philistine. This is a cakewalk. But his motive was what? The reward. It was the reward. Okay? 
He called upon the covenant because he understood covenant, but it was the reward. Listen, I want every reward Jesus died for me to have. I have no intention of getting to heaven without lots of rewards waiting for me. Not because I want them. It's because he paid for them. Does that, that make sense? I mean, it's, listen, listen if, I wanted to, if I wanted a lot of rewards down here, I would not be in the ministry, I guarantee you. I would be doing something else. But my rewards in heaven demand that I'm in the ministry. And I'm super excited about that. That's awesome to me. So throw judgment out of your vocabulary as far as God's concerned. He judged you at the cross, and that was enough. You may not have all the rewards, so you definitely want to do the right thing. There's no doubt about that. It isn't about you know, trying to see what you can get away with. No, it's trying to see how much you can do for him. That's just so good. That was Okay. You have to learn to, to speak exactly what you want. You have to, you know, in, in, in the 80s and 90s, the, the faith movement um, blew the confession uh, message out of proportion. If I just say this 500 times, I'm going to be healed. Well, no, you were healed at the cross. What are you doing? You know what the longest prayer for healing in the Bible is? Twelve words. That's it. Twelve words. That's the longest one. Most of Jesus were two words, three or four words. I mean, he just didn't say a lot. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Stretch out your hand. Go tell the priest. I mean, that was it. He never asked. There's not one prayer in the New Testament where anybody asked Jesus or the Father to do anything concerning somebody's healing, their prosperity, their family, or anything else. Nothing. Yet, we spend how much time praying for, for people. We'll lay hands on them until we rub all the hair off their head. <laughs> Why? Because we're not sure it's going to work. You know, we were praying for his knees the other day. How, how long did we pray? And then I'd say, check it out. How, a few seconds, right? I believe in 15, 5 to 15 second prayers. You know, 15 seconds is the longest that Oral Roberts ever prayed for anyone. Do you know that? Because he said, if you got to pray longer than 15 seconds, you didn't believe it. <laughs> he got some pretty good results in 15 seconds. He prayed for people more than once sometimes. Okay, I'll stop. Okay, so here's what I want you to turn your page. Turn the page. So what page are we on? Yeah, so the next page after study notes. And it says... Your declaration of your goals. So all I want you to do is whatever that, whatever that goal thing was you just did, all I want you to do, whatever category it fits under, that's, those are your different life areas, and you can do it for every goal you have under any one of those. But I just, you know, put down where it belongs and then write a one-sentence statement about that goal as accomplished. So what I would, if, if, if my goal was I wanted to be healed, to say, by his wounds, I was healed. That's all I have to say. Okay? Go ahead. Won't take long. One sentence. 
That is, it's already done. Okay, everybody stand up. Pick up your pad. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to someone and read that to them with conviction. Go ahead. I don't know what it is about Zion, but you guys just draw different stuff out of me than I was planning. It's not my fault. Okay, so we talked about you got to see it, you got to say it, and then the last thing is you got to do it. See, it's one thing. It's one thing to have a nice plan. You've heard from God. You got it all written down. You confirmed it. And it doesn't mean squat if you don't get up and do something. You have to do something. Jesus was very clear. Let me read this to you, just in case you're wondering what he thinks about it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Luke six forty six through 49. And it's the story about one guy builds his house on the rock, one guy builds his house on the sand. They both get hit by a storm, but the one who did what he was told, who did what Jesus said, stood. He was in the rock. If you want to be in the rock, you've got to do what Jesus said. Anybody know how many commands Jesus gave that you can find in the Bible, in the New Testament? How many commands? Throw out a number. Two what? Seventy-two? Five? Anything else? 150. Actually, a little bit more than that. 150 specific commands Jesus made in the four Gospels. And even in, in others where he was quoted in the book of Acts and in Corinthians. Over 150 times he, he gave statements of this is what you do. No, I've never found a book. There is, there is one book, I, the, the friend of mine who turned me on, because he asked me that question, I thought, man, 15, 20, you know, I thought I was really up there. And he's, no, 150. And I went and investigated myself, and I found a little bit more than that. The thing is, there can be five of those commands in one sentence. So you really have to be careful. I actually have those. If you want to email me, I'll send them to you. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Nice to know. Makes a great Bible study, just going through those. Okay, so it's just real simple. It's just Bill at purpose, the number three dot com. That's my email. Just email me. Say, hey, I want those uh, commands, of, commands of Jesus, and I'll send them to you. All right. So you've got to, Jesus, do what I say. You know, as I said before, in, in James, James said, look, I'll show you my faith by what I do. None of us got born again by doing nothing. We had to do something. We had to believe in them. We had to ask him in. We had to say, yeah, come in. But then you have to prove that you actually, that actually means something to you by living that life. Is it easy? No, because you got an enemy. And you got the world, the Salmon River, going the opposite direction. But can you do it? Absolutely you can do it. Of course, you're here, aren't you? So we can do it, but we have to make the decision that we're going to do it. We have to deny ourselves the deception that just seeing it and saying it is enough. It's not enough. You have to do it. You have to do something. What is the Great Commission? 
It is the most action-oriented statements I think that Jesus ever made. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Actually, it says all creation, not just every creature, all creation. So it's okay to preach to trees until you're ready to go to people. Okay. And he says, these signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick, they'll recover, they'll, et cetera, et cetera. The Great Commission is, don't leave town until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's a command. It wasn't a suggestion. You don't, he doesn't want any of us going out and doing the things he said without the power to do it, to back it up. The only thing that separates us from all the other religions in the world is the power to actually do what Jesus did and to be doing it. But you've got to go do it. Jesus said, "Those who, if you believe in me, you can, all that I did, you can do, and how much more greater than I did. But you have to go do it. I always tell people, how many of you like to raise the dead? How many of you here would you love to raise the dead? Great. Guess what you've got to do? Be around dead people. You've got to be around dead people to raise the dead. And listen, let me tell you, I've been around a few, and they're not the happiest people on the planet. It's not a fun thing. If you want people to be healed, you've got to be around people who are sick and hurting. If you want to cast demons out of people, you've got to be around demonized people. Are you right? Okay, so you have to position yourself to do something. Position yourself to do something. So here's Peter and John. They're walking into the gate, right? Beautiful gate. They're go- everybody's going up for prayer. And uh, they raise the cripple, right? Have you ever really read that scene? It is not like that. It's the hour of prayer. There are hundreds of people going through that gate. And the man is not sitting there. He's being carried to the gate. Says he's being carried along. He's not sitting there, but he sees Peter and John about to go through the gate. And he does what? He cries out to them. He called them by name. He had to. There's, a hundred, there's hundreds of people moving through this thing. But he sees them. He singles them out. Why would he do that? Because he knew who they were. He knew they were used. To, he, he got a lot of money from them. They were always giving him money. They were in Jesus' uh, you know, camp, and they probably gave him money. From, you know, Jesus probably gave him money. But this time, so he's, he's coming along. He's being carried along, yells at them. They stop. They set him down because they reached down to him. And they, it says he fixed, his ga- fixed their gaze on him. There's several times in the New Testament where it says someone fixed their gaze on them, on someone, and miracles happened right after that. So Paul did it twice. Peter did it once. Peter and John did it there. Guy gets raised. Paul did it when uh, he's preaching and there's, he said there was a guy there who was crippled from his mother's womb and had never walked. And yet Paul perceived he had faith. Fixing his gaze on him said, jump upright on your feet. Right? Another time, he fixed his gaze on Simon the sorcerer and said, you're going blind. Boom, blind. Okay, so there's, what were they doing when they were fixing their gaze on him? They're, they're looking at this person and they're listening. 
They're looking because they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're used to, they know what the Holy Spirit's like, and they're, they're, something's going on, and they want to know what it is. Oh, you know what? You don't need money today. You need this. Rise and walk. Boom. Up he goes. Oh, you, I perceive you have faith. Stand up. And you, you are evil. Go blind. But they didn't just arbitrarily say that. They fixed their gaze. They're listening. Okay? You get that? That was free. That wasn't in my notes. That, that, think about it. Sometimes, you know, this happens to me a lot when, when I'm moving in, in the prophetic, is I'll just look at somebody and I, I just need, I look at them for a, I'm like, okay, I'm fixed on this person. Why am I fixed on that person? And I'm listening. And then I, oh, it's this. Okay, so you want to make sure, that, but the thing is after they, after they fix their gaze, they got to do something. And they know they're going to do something because they're used to doing something. So they position themselves. I position myself continually to do something in the kingdom. I want to be the hero. I want to be the guy raising the dead, healing the sick. I want to be the guy giving somebody some money. I want to be the guy casting a demon out. I want to be the guy giving this person a hug, that person encouragement. I am always looking. I am I'm on alert because that's who Jesus was. He was always, he only did what the Father said. That means, yeah, they'd be listening all the time. But you've got to be ready to act. You've got to be ready to do something. And like I said before, don't worry about whether you make a mistake. So what? You're learning. It's growing. I mean, we don't tell little babies who are trying to walk every time they fall down. We don't yell at them. We Oh, it's okay. Get back up. That's what God's doing. It's okay. I know you missed that one. Come on, we'll try again. He's a, he's a wonderful papa. Okay, let me give you a couple of these, and then we're going to do one more thing, and we'll be done. Actually, I already said all of those. Oh, I'm way ahead of myself. <clears throat> let me ask a question. How many of you ever prayed for someone, and they got healed? Raise your hand. Look, look around. Look, at this is awesome. This is spectacular. Okay, how many of you have ever um, been involved in casting a demon out of somebody? Okay. Spectacular. That's awesome. See, you had to, but you had to be around those people. You had to position yourself for that. You know, when I used to go, to, when we were first learning all this, um, there would be, you know, a big name preacher would come into, into town and they'd rent out a big auditorium. And so I would go and I'd usher. I just volunteered to be an usher. And every time I would tell the Lord, I said, look, I don't want to be up in the nosebleed section. I want to be on the front row. But I'm not going to ask for that. I'm asking you for that. Because maybe you want me in the nosebleed section. I don't know, but that's what I want. I was on the front row every single time. Because I wanted to be around. When they started praying for somebody, I wanted to be right there. Because I wanted to, I wanted to learn it all. I wanted, to get, I wanted to position myself to learn. And then, because we were very poor at that point, I would say, okay, Lord, I'm sowing all my time here. So I want free stuff off their table. Right? I want their tapes. I want their books because i got to grow. I don't have any money. I said, but I'm asking you. I'm not asking them. Every time. I mean, hey, do you, you want some tapes? Uh, let me think. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, saw, I mean, that just, they load me up. I'm like, this is crazy. 
But God was looking at my heart. Because I, I, I wasn't trying to get something for nothing. That was not it. It was, I need to grow. I've got to be around this. So I positioned myself. I trusted him to put me where he wanted me. Amazing stuff happened like that. I mean, we all know who Benny Hinn is, right? I was in one of his meetings. And uh, I was actually there to talk to him. This was when miracles had started happening with us. And so he starts praying for me. He goes, hey, come here, come here, come here. He said, just catch people because he didn't have enough catchers because he's going down. People are going, bam, 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 like this. So after about the fourth person, I realized I'm about to fall over. <laughs> and I stepped back. I just stepped back. I said, I'm done because I didn't want to fall down. I'm trying to catch what he's got. I want, I want to learn. I'm trying to go. No, 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 no. I don't want to pass out here. I said, no, I'm not here for that. So I actually walked away and let other, some people hit the ground because I walked away from them. But <laughs> they didn't get hurt. They didn't get hurt. Because I was there to position myself to receive, to learn something. I didn't mind working, but I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I want to hit the ground and wake up an hour later, you know. I wanted to be able to see what was, how it was watching him. How is he operating? What's he thinking? I'm tap, trying to tap into the Holy Spirit at the same time. Saying, okay, what are you saying to him? How is that working? You know, how does he know what to do? So I'm asking those questions the whole time. And I've done it watching TV, but it's a whole lot better when you're there. So that's what I'm saying. Position yourself. Go do something. Put yourself in a position for the miracle to happen, to be the miracle for someone. Hey, we all want miracles. Wonderful to have miracles. I want to be the guy given the miracle. I don't want to be the guy who needs it. I've been the guy who needs it, and that's wonderful. I've had them, but I want to go give them. I want to be that guy. All right, so turn your page. You should be on page 40. That's where we're going, page 40. Now, on page 40, whatever that, whatever that was that you said, you know, you saw it all done, and then you made a declaration, now write it in here again, and I want you to write down at least three things you, you can do in the next week toward that goal. Toward that accomplishment. Go ahead. Okay, that's good. That's good. Thank you. That's good. Thank you very much. That was great. Okay, so what have we done tonight? So you took one thing you really wanted, and you saw it, and you wrote down what you saw. Then you wrote, how, here's what I'm gonna, how I'm going to say it. And then you wrote down how I'm going to do it. That's pretty cool for one night, isn't it? Okay. Now, yeah, now you can do the same thing with absolute everything you ever want to do. This is, these three keys will get so much done. It is crazy. But again, the key to it is, God, what do you want? Holy Spirit, what do you want? That's, that, you got to start there. Okay, I want to, um, I want to just give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do what, something if he wants to, Okay. All right, so let's just uh, keep your eyes open. Don't bow your heads. I want you to pay attention to the Holy Spirit right now with your eyes open. Okay, the Bible says watch and pray. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to watch and we're going to pray. You don't have to look at me, but I want you to think. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about something, someone, word of knowledge, something, anything. We're going to do some other things too, but I want you to just if, see if the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And if you think he's told you something, I want you to raise your hand.
All right, good. We got five or six people raising their hand. I know others you're still listening. Okay, so <clears throat> what did you hear? He saw a whirlwind of fire over her head. That's a good word. We'll take that. You know what's in the Bible says that tongues of fire came and rested upon them. It doesn't say it was a little Bic lighter thing up here on their head, okay? I mean, it was fire in the midst of them, and they were covered in it. That's what I believe, because they had a little flame. We're so, we're so weird. We do all these paintings, all these little weird things. It said it was in, came and sat upon them. I think it was a big ball of fire on each one of them. Okay, who else? You had one. Ooh, man sees the brick, I see the wall. That's cool. Because aren't we all a part of, we're a wall of living stones, right? We're, we are the temple. I mean, it's, it's scriptural, right? Who else had one? Somebody else had something. Yes. Yeah. Can't focus on one. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But God's a big picture guy. And some people are big picture people. They see the big picture. They're not given to the details. You know, I, I can be a detail guy. I don't like to live there. My wife lives there. She loves the details. She's an artist and she paints pictures that look like photographs. I mean, she, she loves that. Okay, that I would be bored in about 30 seconds, right? Give me a big paintbrush and just, you know. So that's a really good word that sometimes it, some people are just big picture people. You had something over there, didn't you? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, there you go. We like it when it makes sense. Anybody else? Was there someone over here? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I saw the same thing. I saw Jesus come around her. He put his arms around her, and then it turned into armor, but something's coming up soon. This sweet lady right here? Okay. <laughs> yeah, she goes, this lady, there's four of them, right? So, yeah, it's this lady. Is that good for you? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Somebody else? Somebody else? Yes. I just heard God say that there are many hungry hearts in here and that he's really excited to see how all these hungry hearts are going to build his kingdom. That's right. <laughs> Woo! I like that one. Okay, could you hear her over there? Yeah, she's talking about the hungry hearts. Yeah. Awesome. See, this is how easy it is. Every one of those words was excellent, right? And I'm sure there's plenty more if we kept going around the room. This is how easy it is. It is not difficult. It's easy. If the longer you wait, the more you'll get. Well, what if you wait for an hour and you don't get anything? Well, you sat there with God. That's okay. You spent an hour with him. So what? I've spent an hour with my wife and we don't talk. And I love her. Right? So it's okay. The, thing, the fact is you're taking the step, right? You're trying to do something. And that, that is what he's looking for. He's looking for the, the person with the hungry heart who's actually going to do something. So position yourself to receive, and that means you've got to get quiet. 
You got to be still, which is hard in this society, right? Because we all got a lot to do, but you have to do it anyway. And the other thing is the sowing and reaping principle. The more you do it and the more you give out and let God flow through you, the more it comes to you. I mean, it's wonderful. What a great life, right? Why don't you stand? I want to pray for all of you. And while you're standing, if you have need of healing in your body, raise your hand. Hold your hand up. Everybody else who doesn't have their hand up, you see the people with hand up, go to them. Go to them. Put your hand on them. Keep your hands up. Keep your hand up over your head so everybody knows. And make sure everybody's got somebody with a hand on them. And here's, and listen, don't pray yet. Yeah, there's ladies coming over here. Pray for these two guys. Anybody who doesn't have anybody praying for them yet back there? Okay, if you've got your hands up, pray for each other. All right? So here's the, here's the prayer. Here's the prayer. Okay, these are the kinds of prayers you need to get used to praying. Whatever it is, I command it to stop and leave this body now. That's the prayer. Be healed in Jesus' name. Name means person, authority, power, and character. Right? Pain, go. Symptoms, leave. Be made whole. doesn't matter what it is. Okay, go ahead. You, you're, you're praying for him, not me. Do it. Okay, I hear an awful lot of praying going on. It was supposed to be like five words, you know. Okay. Okay. Anybody who was prayed for, can you tell if the symptoms have left? Anybody? Anybody tell? One over there. One back there. Anybody else? Because some, some symptoms I know you can't tell. Anybody else? How are you doing? Because I know your back was bugging you. Is it still the same? It's better now? Okay, so how many of it's just better? You can tell that it's better than it was a second ago. Anybody? Okay, besides those? All right, now, Here's what we're doing. We're going to do it again. Five-second prayer. Five-second prayer. Okay, that's like six words, maybe. All right, go ahead. Don't ask Jesus to do it. Okay, that's it. You're done. All right, check your symptoms again. Anybody's pain down? How are we doing with your back? Feels good? Much better? Anybody else got symptoms that are abating? They're leaving? You're feeling better? They're over here? Anything else? Shh. One more time. I have prayed for people six to seven to eight times, and then it hits. Shh. Shh. Okay. If you still have symptoms, raise your hand. Hold it up where people can see it. Okay, make sure you put your hand, somebody get their hand on these people. Five second prayer, go. Okay, done. Done. Listen, now sometimes you can spend a lot of time praying, and it's okay. Shh. How are we feeling? Anybody can feel the difference now that you couldn't feel before? How are you doing with your back? Okay, his back is good. Another one here, another one here. Okay. All right, um, I'm going to dismiss you in a second, but listen. 
When it comes to praying for the sick, Jesus always spoke the answer. Peter spoke the answer. Paul spoke the answer. Don't speak the disease. Speak the answer. If, the, if their symptom is pain, pain go. Right? It's not, oh, Jesus, we need you to please take this pain away. Now, he did that at the cross. That's, that's not the way you pray. Okay? And, but now, let me just give you this, this caveat. And there's been times when I put my hand on people and notice that don't take it off. And I've st- laid it there for minutes. Because he, was, he just wanted to do it differently. And if you were there when I was talking about this uh, earlier this week, I slapped people, kicked them, spit on them, punched them, whatever God says to do. That was years ago. I don't do that anymore, so don't be afraid. Um, But it always comes back to even praying for the sick. You don't pray the problem. You pray the answer. You don't ask Jesus. Jesus said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He did not say, ask me to do it. All right? So this works. Your back's good? Okay. He came in. He could hardly get up out of the chair before. All right. So praise God. Thank you so much. It has been an honor to be with you guys. God bless you.